All right, turning your Bibles tonight with me uh, to Genesis chapter 17. Gosh, it seems like it's been a month of Sunday since I've had a chance to preach on Sunday night. We've been blessed with missionary after missionary, and uh, we always enjoy them when they come through. And I've uh, been looking forward to preaching on Genesis chapter 17 for a while. I hope the Lord will bless you and encourage you tonight as we study this chapter together. If you listen to preaching on the radio, you probably have come across a Bible program called Through the Bible by J. Vernon McGee. Uh, J. Vernon McGee said about Genesis chapter 17, he said that a great many people feel that the 17th chapter is the most outstanding chapter of the book of Genesis. He said that in one sense, this chapter is the key to the book of Genesis And it may be a key, he believes, to the entire Bible. He said God's covenant with Abram concerns two important items, a seed and a land. So let's look at Genesis chapter 17. And by the way, I uh, agree with him that it is a very, very important chapter in the Word of God. As I've told you before, there'll be times you read through the Bible where you just need to write in your Bible beside it in the margin that, wow. That there are just some moments in the Word of God that you just have to say, wow. And remember, you're reading uh, primarily the Old Testament. Uh, Not all of it, but much of it is a history book. And that history is about a people that God has called out and chosen for Himself to reveal Himself to the world. Uh, Genesis chapter 17 I want you to notice, and I want to call this message tonight, The Master's Master Plan. That's what I want to call it. The Master's Master Plan. Usually when somebody, a huge contractor, is about to do and undertake a large and long-term project, he has to have and present uh, to those who are paying him a master plan because uh, they want to see what the end result is going to be. And so he's got all this stuff laid out. Usually even if someone is building a, an apartment complex on a particular piece of land or maybe like a, a mall project, well, just like here in New Caney, what do they call that, Valley Ranch, the area up there? Somebody had a master plan because you don't want to just, you know, you see some of them old westerns and you got a store here and then you got another one here and there and there. That's not the way that's supposed to be. And so kind of have a master plan. Well, God has one. And the Bible teaches us here, Genesis chapter 17. You have to remember now in chapter 16, at the end of chapter 16, it reveals Abram's age. Chapter 16, verse 16 says, And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. So he is 86 years old. Old. And this was, by the way, a carnal plan to the master plan. And it didn't work. Uh, but I want you to look with me, please, in verse number, chapter number 17, when I say that the master plan, this is because verse 15 says that Hagar had bare Abram a son whose name was Ishmael. Okay? And that was Sarah's idea. You know, she couldn't have a child. She said, okay, go see my handmaid. She'll be your concubine. And the, she bare a son. Caused all kinds of upheaval in the home to the point of where Sarah wanted her gone. 
And uh, the Lord appeared though to Hagar and, uh, and took care of her in spite of Sarah's attitude. Even a good woman can get her feathers ruffled. And a good godly woman can even from time to time be weak in a moment and make a bad decision. So here we are, chapter 17, it says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine. So, you go, how many years of silence? Can you do math? Thirteen years God does not speak to Abraham after his carnal decision and event. Now that's a warning to you and I. In that you can't just do what you want to do when you want to do it and then expect the Lord to fellowship with you along the way. God's not like that. And so sometimes there is a price to pay for being foolish. So the scripture says in chapter 17, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land. Now that's important that you see this, because this is an everlasting covenant with Abraham, And with his descendants, it is an everlasting covenant. And he says in verse 8, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now you're going to see many times the word covenant appear here in this passage. And the definition of a covenant is an agreement. Or a contract between men or between men and God. God in grace undertakes to do things for men. And, and then sometimes it is conditional. Sometimes it is unconditional depending on the covenant. So in other words, like for example, a conditional one would be if you will obey then I will do this. That is a conditional covenant that God had with Israel. Unconditional depends upon the Lord. And that's why you see the word over and over, I will, I will, I will. Over ten times, God says, I will, I will. Because this promise, this covenant, is not determined by the will of man. It is determined by the will of of God. And so when you watch the news, if you're interested in what goes on in the Middle East, if you're concerned about what happens to Israel, then you need to go back to Genesis chapter 17 and understand that God has a master plan. The centuries, like a large river that flows 
It will never be deterred by the hand of God. What has happened to Israel has happened for reasons, but God has an end plan and it will come to pass. And so, by the way, not every covenant has a sign. There are some that do. For example, children, what is the sign with the Noahic covenant? What is the Noah, what is the sign that goes with Noah's promise that God gave to him after the flood? Anybody know? Any child know? What, what, what is it, Austin? The rainbow is a sign from God that God will keep his promise that he will not destroy the earth again by, by flood, by water. All right? And so when you see that rainbow, you know that God is reminded of His covenant with man that I will not destroy the earth again with water. Then there is the Mosaic covenant. Its sign is the Sabbath uh, for the Jew. The Abrahamic covenant, we're going to read what it is here in just a moment. God gives it a token. God gives it a sign, and it is the sign of circumcision. And by the way, this is for Abraham. This is for Israel. This is not being given unto any other nation or any other group of people. This is a selective group of people. It is for Abraham, for Isaac, and for his descendants. And the Bible says here, in all the sons of Abraham, verse number 9 says, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee and their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. And every man-child among you shall be circumcised. For as we know, this is the first time this is mentioned in the word of the Lord. It was mentioned before the law was given to Moses. Verse 11, 11, And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. This was to be a daily reminder of every male Jew that he had a covenant with the everlasting God. Verse 12, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generation that he is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. And he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai. And I'm glad we're past that finally in the book of Genesis. But Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. And yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Now God is speaking as if these things already were. And yet here's a woman who is barren, who has no child. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart. Now there are two times when these folks laugh. Here Abraham laughs, but he don't get in trouble with the Lord. 
And Sarah laughs in her heart when she hears it down the road and she gets in trouble with the Lord. And they say the difference is, is that Abraham is laughing out of joy and the promise of God, that he is believing the promise of God. According to Romans chapter 4, he did believe the promise of God, that God was going to bring it to pass. But he said this, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abram said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. You know what Isaac means? It means laughter. Laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Now it's amazing. God is going to bless this young man and his life because of Abraham and him talking to God about it. Lot was blessed because God talked to Abraham, talked to Abraham, I'm sorry, Abraham talked to God for Lot and God blessed him for it. I'd like to have a good friend that can talk to God for me. Somebody that's a friend of God that God listens to. If you feel like that sometimes you can't get a hold of God, surround yourself with some good people that can and ask them to pray for you. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. Now, he's a he's about 13, 14 years old right here. Okay? And, uh, and he says, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant... Will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year? And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God did said unto him. And Abram was ninety-nine years old, Ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day there was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael, his son, and all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. You can tell that Abraham commanded his household. Because to talk a grown man into this would be very difficult. For he would be laid up really for about three, at least three days or more. And yet they obeyed Abraham. And the Lord said that God did command his household. So let's pray for just a moment. Father, would you bless thy servant as we look over these passages. May you encourage your children in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First of all, I want you to look at this chapter and the Lord's communication with Abraham. It blesses my heart when I read this because I serve the true and living God. When you read, I encourage you children sometime when you're reading your Bible to read Psalm 115, maybe tonight or in the morning when you get up. And what you're going to see in Psalm 115 is where David writes and talks about the, uh, the, the idols, how they cannot see and how they cannot hear and how they cannot talk, and how they cannot feel. He said, but our God, our God. And what you have here is, 
is a man that has come away from an idolatrous place. And the true and living God has made himself known to this man. And the scripture here says that God appeared to Abraham. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means he appeared to Abraham. (laughs) I don't know exactly what he did. I do know this in Hebrews chapter 1. It says in times past and sundry times and in divers manners, God spake to our fathers. Was it a vision? Was it a dream? Uh, I don't know how this occurred. All I know is, is that the Lord appeared to him. And verse 3 says that God talked to him and then and reveals himself by his name. And also, he disappears. And verse 22, it says, And the Lord left off talking with him, and God went up. That's what makes me think it wasn't just a dream, that it wasn't just a vision, but rather it was a visitation of the Lord to Abraham. Man, what an awesome privilege. What an opportunity to be able. And by the way, Abraham is called a friend of God. And the Lord speaks to him as a friend. And so here they are, God talking to him. And you'll notice in chapter 17, look at this. Talk about the Lord's communication. God, throughout the Bible, Brother Mark, God likes to, you might call it progressive revelation. God reveals a little bit more of himself as the Bible goes on and as history goes on. And so here you have the Lord revealing himself as as God, Almighty God or God Almighty. That's why sometimes you'll be watching an old western or something, they'll say it, and somebody will say, God Almighty. But they're saying it in a vain manner. They're not saying it out of respect and reverence. Uh, You need to realize that God wants to be known as the Almighty God. Now that word there is, is El Shaddai. And the difference in God revealing Himself as the Almighty God is the fact that it means... That is the all-sufficient one, but it also means he has established the laws of nature and he's the only one that can, you might say, cross over those laws of nature at his will and change something if he sees fit. Meaning, it's not natural for a 90-year-old woman to conceive a child and bear a child. But yet God is going to step over that line or law of nature and he, in his power, is able to do the impossible. Is there anything too hard for God? That really is the question. Is there anything too hard for God? I think there are some heads that are too hard for God and some hearts that are too hard for God, and but nothing's too hard for the Lord. But let's say this. Now look at the second thing here quickly. The Lord's communication. God is able to communicate with man and that encourages me. God can Communicate. And God does communicate. Alright. And then you'll notice chapter 17 and verse 1. I see this as the Lord's correction. Not just His communication, but His correction. He says, basically, it's almost like been 13 years since the Lord talked to Him. 13 years. You had not got a phone call in 13 years from somebody that you know and love? I think you'd be kind of, man, wow. Or a letter. Oh, man, look, it's from them. 
He says, and the Lord shows up and he appears to Abraham, introduces himself as the Almighty God, and basically says, all right, son, it's been 13 years since I've talked to you. He says, now I want you to straighten up and walk right. So basically he's being rebuked. That's why he says, walk before me and be thou perfect. The command is to walk in the right direction. And the correction is for you to walk perfectly or in the right direction. Because how can two walk together except we agree? And so basically he said, hey, let's, let's walk. How about you walk in a little bit straighter path? Hmm, what do you think? You had this idea of how you were going to do this, but I want you to straighten up. Have you ever told somebody straighten up and fly right? Hmm? And that's basically what the Lord's telling him, except not flying, but walking. I want you to walk right. That's the Lord's correction. Can you take the Lord's correction? You know, some folks want the Lord to show up. They just don't want Him to show up in a correcting manner. They want Him to show up and make them feel real good. But they don't necessarily want Him to show up and say, Hey, you need to straighten up. Amen? All right, now look at this. Then I want you to look at the Lord's confirmation. The Lord has a plan. He has a man. He has a location. He has a nation. And the master of this plan sees the end from the beginning. Now, TexDOT has a plan for Highway 99. But we know that there are things that happen and can happen that can change some of their plans. Oh, well, we didn't figure this. Oh, we didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, we didn't know another Harvey was coming. Or we didn't know this. There are a lot of things. Or maybe they can get a certain section and thought we had really, really studied this property and this land and come to find out it cannot sustain the road that we're trying to build on. So we've got to change directions. That's man. God's not like that. Your heavenly father has got a master plan and it's not going to fail. All right. And so, <coughs> excuse me. The Lord confirms this. And verse number two, of course, is he says, I will make my covenant between me and thee. You say, well, that's not right. How come I didn't get chosen? I don't know. All I know is God chose Abraham. And you have to accept the fact that God is is able and sovereign and he has the right to choose whomever he chooses. And whatever God does, it's righteous. And whatever God does, it's right. And whatever God does, it's good and will benefit the majority if they'll listen to Him. I don't know what it is about the Lord that likes this little piece of land over in the Middle East. But He says, that's mine. I like it. I love it. I want it. It's mine. Passed up Texas. He passed up Mississippi. Don't blame him there in some parts of it. He passed up Louisiana. I can understand that. But he passed up what we would consider to be significant real estate on this planet. Places of where maybe that you would like to live for the rest of your life. But God says that little spot right there, it's mine. And I am going to put a people there. Now listen, God's given them a plan. Then he's going to tell him, look, It's going to be about 400 years before I make another major move here. Thank God text dot didn't tell us that. 
400 years, we'll be done with the road. <laughs> sure seems like it sometimes. But I want you to think about now four centuries. God's got a plan of what's going to happen. And he's laying it out. This is all prophetic. It all came to pass. You're looking at pre-written history here. The Lord is saying this will come to pass. It ought to encourage you when you read something, even today in the New Testament, that the Lord says is going to come to pass. It means it's going to come to pass. What he said back then, what would come to pass, did come to pass. It ought to encourage you. The person, the people, this everlasting covenant, the Jews, the Hebrew people. Verse 8, he said, I will give unto thee, to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. You ought to stand up, Brother Kenny. We're going to take up an offer and send you to the United Nations. And we're going to have you stand up and read this verse to all of the nations around the world that God and the father of Abraham has given the land of Canaan to the nation of Israel. Do you think that all the leaders of those nations at the United Nations would get up on their feet and do this? Or do you think that they would gnash at him with their teeth? If there's anything that is satanic, it's anti-Semitism. Brother, God's people. And so the scripture here says, he said, that's my place. These are my people. And verse 8 says, it's for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. The Bible records history, true history, only as nations come in contact with this nation. He doesn't care about all the other history that's, that's out there that goes all the way back to the Egyptians and and the Assyrians and uh, and all of those folks, he said, man, he said, if they didn't come across Israel, I'm not really interested. He said, I'll be their God. And so the Lord makes this promise. He said, I'm going to be their God. And the Lord reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through the conscience of a man as far as having that, that uh, law written in his heart of things that animals do not possess. That witness, you might say. And then here's the choosing of Israel. Of which one day he is going to bring through Israel the Messiah. And he knows that. Of how that God is going to bless the whole world. The choosing of Israel. And then you'll notice he says over and over in here, the power that possessed here. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Even though it takes centuries to accomplish this master plan, his will was accomplished, and His will will be accomplished. Politicians, prognosticators, and philosophers will not change the course of this river that is embedded in Genesis chapter number 17. Now look in chapter 17, verse 9. The Lord is making some changes here in Abraham and Sarah's life. Of course, the token, a sign of circumcision, a daily reminder. We're told in the New Testament that we do not have to have this done to us in order to have a relationship with God. 
But spiritually speaking, he's saying that our hearts should be circumcised. That we should walk circumspectly before this world. And then here's these names. Abram to Abraham, the father of a multitude. And then Sarah's name is changed. Then I want you to notice Abraham goes to God. And I noticed in one of our songs tonight, a statement was made that if you were to ask him for anything, you would never be denied. I will say that sounds good, but that's not scriptural. Now, it sounds good when you sing it, but it's not scriptural when you put it to practice. Because Abraham wants the covenant to be established through Ishmael. And God is telling him, son, listen. And listen, Abraham loved this boy. I'm talking about father-son, 13 years that they've grown together, and he's been waiting for a son for a long time. you got to think about what God put Hagar back in that household with that little boy, and Sarah had to watch that boy grow up right up under her and watch that connection being made between Abraham and this boy of this handmaid, and you know that there had to be really some unhappy days uh, in that household. But yet... Abraham loved this boy, and he just figured, you know, this is going to be God's plan. We've kind of bypassed what he said, but we're going to, but here's what the Lord said to him. You see, because Ishmael and Hagar really are both types of the flesh, and the Lord rejects the firstborn. You have to be born again. He rejects your first birth. You have to be born again. And so the Lord rejects this. And by the way, when the Lord says no, you might, when the, I'm talking about when the Lord actually tells you no. You need to accept it. All right, look at Genesis 17. Look what he says here. In verse number 20, he said, As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. He says, I know this matters to you, and I know you love this boy, but this is not my plan, and he will not be the supernatural heir of what I am going to do. I have rejected Ishmael. I'm going to give you a son in about a year and I'm going to tell you what his name is going to be. His name is going to be Isaac. How about that if the Lord showed up and told you that far ahead what's going to be in about a year from now. Not only that but in about 400 years from now. You know Abraham had to care more about God's will than he had about just that particular generation that he lived in. Abraham was looking way down the road as well. He cared about what was going to happen uh, after he was gone and centuries after he was gone. He wanted to be and do his part while he was alive on planet earth. Why don't you quit thinking about just yourself? Why don't you think about the next generation and the people that are following after you? Amen. All right, now watch this. You'll find here that that the Lord told him, he said in verse number 20, he said, I'm going to comfort you a little bit about this, but I want you to know I've rejected him. And by the way, he says in verse number 20, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. There's nothing that Ishmael did to earn God's favor right here. You might say he's a mistake. This is simply the goodness of God to Abraham. Remember the promise that I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse you. 
And here is Abraham being a blessing to his own son Ishmael. And the scripture says, he says, I'll make him a great nation. How about that? I mean, here's a man with no children. Then God gives him a son that was not done right. And yet out of the goodness of God and the mercy of God, and it's not Ishmael's fault all this happened, by the way. And God gives him, man, 12 princes. How many men can say, yeah, I've got 12 sons, and man, they're princes of of their own tribe and own nation. How can you, how many men can say that I'll make of him a great nation? By the way, this, this, this is the Arabs. Brother, they've been a thorn in Isaac's side for centuries. There are over 200 million of them in 21 countries. Saudi Arabia, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, Egypt, Iran. I mean, all of this is from this promise here that God gave to Abraham and Ishmael. So if you read through your Bible and you're trying to figure out why there's so much, and by the way, these nations, this, this, uh, man, this, this group that came out of Ishmael, the Bible says that every man's hand would be against them. And brother, they are a nomadic people and they have not changed very much in centuries. You go over there and they're still, they're still living in some tents, still wearing some of the same clothes, still doing some of the same things that they have done for centuries. And every man's hand is against them. They're, you can't, you can't corral them. You can't, they'll fight with each other. They'll kill each other. They'll fight anybody. And the Lord said that's the way it would be. And I want to convince you kids to understand that you have a heavenly father. It looks way down the road. You know, time doesn't mean to him what it matters to, what it does to us. Man, I can only see right now and a little bit in the past of yesterday, but I can't see tomorrow. And yet he's looking down through the centuries and saying, okay, now this is what's going to happen. And so the scripture says that I'm going to give you a son. I'll establish my covenant and with his seed after him. And brother God gave him Isaac. And then God gave him Jacob. They had 12 boys. And then they began to, and as, as you read through the book of Genesis, then they got down there into Egypt. And there they stayed for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And all they had was them being able to tell each other, father to grandfather to great, you know, grandfather to grandson on down through the ages that this was a promise that God gave to our fathers. And that's why we circumcised you. God gave us a promise. Here's the sign. One day he's going to get us out of here. And brother, hundreds and hundreds of years went by. They multiplied in that hardship. And one day God said on his clock up there in heaven, Okay, all right, let's see. Now, they, they've gotten to about, I don't know, probably two or three million. Let's get them out of there now. And so then God sends and speaks to who? To Moses. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to get them out. And some of the greatest miracles that are recorded in history occur under the hand of Moses as God breaks out that little nation under that mighty empire, the Egyptian empire. God brings those people out who were slaves. God brings them out. And when they come out, even the dogs won't bark at them. And not only that, but the, 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 the Egyptians are, are giving them their, all of their loot and say, Hey man, get out of here. Leave. And then God parts the Red Sea. And then, then they walk across on dry land. And then when they go after them, God closes it back up and destroys the mightiest army on the planet at that time. And what you're talking about is a God who saw all of that right here when he's talking to Abraham. 
He said, I got a plan. I'm going to use you and I'm going to glorify myself through you and through your seed. He said, I got it under control. And I tell you, when you look down through history and you see how that God has judged the Hebrew nation for turning their back on him, yet God kept him a remnant. And then when you saw in World War II and the Holocaust, and you saw how all the destruction of the Hebrews and the nations that were, that, and, and really the nations that, are, that, that impacted them and harmed them were brought to their knees. And the nations that rescued them were exalted. And blessed. And if America begins to turn their back on the nation of Israel, we're in trouble. You may think that the United States is protecting Israel, but I think it's the other way around. I think as long as we look toward them and help them and bless them, that God will take care of us. I'm going to close with this thought that has to do with the church. There is a thought that has prevailed over the, I guess probably over, over a century, and it's called replacement theology. Replacement theology affects everything. It affects your politics. It affects your Bible reading and your ability to rightly divide the Word of God. Replacement theology is... People who believe that God has completely rejected the nation of Israel and set them aside and the church is now taking up the promises and the plan that God has for Israel. I want to tell you, it's not true. If you read Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11, God has set them aside for a season, but the church has its own place and purpose. That's why when you read the Word of God, you be sure and look at who is He talking to. Is He talking to the Jew? Is He talking to the church? Or is He talking to the Gentiles? And you must rightly divide that or you'll mess up your Bible and your Bible will mess you up. Amen? You say, the Bible will not mess anybody up. Are you sure about that? Because the Bible says if you rest these Scriptures, it'll destroy you. This is the most powerful book on planet Earth. And if you... It's like electricity. You know, Brother Gary understands most of the laws of electricity. Me, I know how to flip a switch. And I don't want to, I don't want to mess with a, a box of breakers. I want them to turn it off wherever they're generating at the dam before I change the light bulb. But if you use electricity and its laws, it'll be a blessing to you. You cross them, and it'll kill you. And I'm just telling you that God has a great people that he is still going to use. That's why we support missionaries that go to Israel. You ought to pray for Israel for the peace of Jerusalem. You ought to oppose any politician that is anti-Semitic. You ought not listen to any preacher that is anti-Semitic. You ought to be for God's blessings and promises upon the nation of Israel. All right? Let's stand together, please. You encourage our people to believe in El Shaddai, the almighty God who could do the impossible and the improbable. We ask, Lord, that you'd encourage our people that have watched at home and those who have been faithful here tonight. 
May you encourage them as they read their Bibles. They're looking at a living God who gave us a living book. History proves it. And Lord, changed lives prove it. And we thank you for Jesus who came through this seed of this promise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.